Our scripture lesson for this day, it is the first Sunday in Lent, and we talk about that a lot, not of Lent, but in Lent, which means that it doesn't count as one of the days of Lent. And I've shared this with you before, and it's not new with me, but if you are giving up something for Lent, and we talked about that this last week, we had Shrove Tuesday, Pancake Supper, we had some classes and talked about what Lent means. But if you're giving up something for Lent, Sundays are feast days and not fast days, and some folks call that a loophole, so um, (laughs) if you've got Girl Scout cookies in your house, it's okay today. Um, Just don't eat three or four boxes before midnight, but uh, so that's one of my temptations, I promise you. And the first Sunday in Lent is always Temptation Sunday, and we we always read this particular story from the Gospels. This one today, this year, it's from Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. So I would ask you to stand as you are able for the reading of the Holy Gospel, Luke chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. Jesus Full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for forty days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, One does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To you I will give their glory and all this authority, for it's been given over to me, and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple and saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you to protect you. And on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. It's quite a story, isn't it? This temptation story, always the gospel lesson for first Sunday and then every third year from Luke's gospel, Luke's version. And it's still not easy sometimes for me to wrap my head or my heart around this notion in this story. Jesus and the Satan or the adversary dancing around in the wilderness. And after all these years, unlike a new car smell, the strangeness of this story is not worn off. But as complex and as deep as it is, it's not the only story on my mind this morning. When I was preparing this week, another story from the gospel kept intruding on my thought process. And I'm going to share just a little bit of that. I hope it's not just some crazy notion I had, but there's a reason for it being here. You can decide that. But it's the story of the Good Samaritan. For some reason, after reading this temptation story, the Good Samaritan story came to mind, a story that so many folks know, even folks who not grown up in the church and been part of the Christian tradition seem to know this story. 
It comes up on Jeopardy on the biblical questions a lot, the Good Samaritan story, and people seem to know. They, they seem to get this one right. It's a familiar story. So Jesus had said that we ought to love our neighbors ourselves. And someone who was an expert in the law, trying to sound genuinely interested when what he was being was genuinely cantankerous, the guy asked Jesus, and who's my neighbor? And Jesus, in typical Jesus fashion, told a story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's a steep road, geographically, it's a steep road, a narrow road, a winding road, a crooked road. It's a dangerous road, or it was back in that day. There were caves all along the road, and I've learned that in those caves, the zealots, the revolutionaries, those folks who were interested in overthrowing the Roman Empire, that's where they hung out. And zealotry, or being a revolutionary, didn't pay very much back in that day. So if they were going to survive and eat, then they had to have money from somewhere. So they would rob folks along the road. The zealots, the revolutionaries would rob the people on the road. And that's where they got their spending money, so to speak. And so that stretch of road came to be known as a very dangerous place, a place that you did not want to, to travel by yourself. Now, most everyone, as I said a moment ago, knows the story about this man who was traveling that road, apparently by himself, when he got beat up and picked up and fixed up. And what we sometimes don't think about or what sort of intruded on my thought process this week is this is also a temptation story. The priest who passed by was tempted to stop and help. But what if he was late for his rotation, his turn in the temple? It didn't come up very often. It was quite an honor. And so he may have been late. Don't have time to help you. Sorry about that. And then the Levite passed by and he may have been afraid to stop and help. Because sometimes folks would put a body in the road or someone would lay down and pretend to be beat up or dead. And when somebody stopped to help, then the other folk would come out from behind the rocks and they would attack that person and take their money and sometimes take their life. He was tempted to stop, but no, self-preservation won that one. In both cases, the priest and the Levite, the good was chosen over the best. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more about temptation, about, choo sorry, about choosing the good over the best instead of just good over evil. That's an easy one for most of us, most of the time, I hope. But then the Samaritan who died was tempted to look the other way. He may have been late for an appointment. Who knows what was going on with him? He was sort of considered an outsider, someone you wouldn't expect to stop and help. But even if this wounded traveler had made the poor decision, the foolish decision to travel down that road by himself, that stretch of road. The Samaritan chose what was best over what was just merely good, and he stopped. There's a stronger temptation oftentimes to not necessarily do something overtly evil, but to do something else. Or what the author of the book that we're using for this Lenten series is called Gifts of the Dark Wood, and his name is Eric Elms, E-L-N-E-S. And in that book, he talks about, and we're going to talk about more of that in just a moment, he talks about doing the wrong good, choosing the good instead of choosing what is best. 
and putting our energy into something different from what God's calling us to do. And temptation, he said, is a gift or can be a gift because it makes us aware of this tendency. It gives us clues as to what's happening. Sometimes it might leave us exhausted or tired, but we can signal. Temptation may be signaling to us something's awry. Something is not just right. We need to stop and pay attention. Now, the chapter in this book, The Gift of Temptation, in this book, The Gifts of the Dark Woods, this chapter about temptation, he has a section called Doing the Wrong Good, Part 1, My Bad. And he writes in there, and he's telling a little bit about how all this came to pass, this book and other books he had written. He said, in the summer of 2005, I learned more than I ever cared to know, he said, about the positioning of logic and reason and strategy over intuitive listening. I learned by doing precisely the good that I was not called to do, that I was not doing the best and living with the result. In a nutshell, he said it was a cross-country walk. He and several of his friends and his colleagues were walking across the country and they had to do something. They were weary of what they perceived as intolerance and injustice and anger spread by some self-proclaimed spokespersons for the Christian faith and the media. And they wanted to offer a vision that was more open and a more joyous faith. And it was taking shape across the nation. And their understandings had been condensed into a document, 12 points. They called it the Phoenix Affirmations, 12 principles based on the three great loves, love of God, love of neighbor, love of self. And the greatest commandment and the second greatest commandment, love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength and our neighbor as ourself. It was decided that a commentary needed to be written showing that these affirmations that they were going to list came from the heart of the Christian faith, not the fringe. Eric Allens was tapped for this task. He didn't have much time. It was in August, four weeks vacation to write an entire book. And his whole family had traveled to a small cabin on the coast in Oregon where they went for vacation every year. And needless to say, the pressure to complete the book and the pressure to be attentive to his family were pressing on him. Now, some of you, some of us, look back over our lives, and maybe right now, as part of your life, choosing between the demands of the work we feel called to do and, and the demands of a family that we love and care for. And he said it was a, a difficult time, and he was a conflict for him, and he said he was not Mr. Popularity at the cabin that summer, not even among those who believed in his cause. So he was caught between the nudges of the Holy Spirit, he called them, and the demands of his family and the demands of reason and logic to finish the book. And it was hard. But on one particular day, he was out on walking on the beach trying to clear his mind, trying to get some direction, trying to hear from the Lord. And he stumbled on what he called an unusual gift. There was a 20-foot wooden piling about three feet thick lying on its side, high on a sand dune. It had been tossed up there, broken and tossed up there by storms of the previous winter. But also lying beside that, he said, was a small light bulb that somehow had stood the savagery pounding of the storm, and the light bulb was still intact. That thin glass had not even been broken, and that huge piling had been broken into some pieces. And then the thought hit him. He said, if you are to survive this ordeal, you've got to be more like the light bulb than that piling. Let go of your rigidity and flow with the storm like the light bulb. And he finished the book. 
Not what the publisher intended. There were 12 of these affirmations. He had 240 pages after only dealing with four of them. And they wanted 150 pages for all 12 of them. So it required some more work and editing. And eventually the book was published. And he said, all of us, including my family, knew that the book could only be written on vacation that summer. The spirit knew otherwise. I accomplished more, he said. And I'm happier doing it when I pay less attention to doing, quote, always the right thing and pay more attention to those sweet spot Holy Spirit moments that reveal what I'm called to do. And so that brings us back to the text for this morning. Jesus being tempted in the wilderness by the devil or the Satan. The word Satan literally means the adversary. We have to be sure to point out what the devil is offering Jesus in this encounter. Not bad things. Again, thinking in terms of good and best, not good and evil necessarily. They're actually good things. And perhaps we need to realize too that we've got some preconceived notions of what the devil is all about and what evil is all about. And sometimes we grow up with that Halloweenish kind of notion of a devil in a costume with horns and a pitchfork. And um, none of that. Imagine someone more put together, less threatening, maybe even angelic. Doesn't the Old Testament teach us that the devil's a fallen angel? And I remember one of my teachers years ago telling us that his definition of evil was misplaced good because this angel had been in the courts of heaven and had fallen and then gone into rebellion against God. You know some of that story. The devil was an angel in the company of God, but now this misplaced good. All this to say that for this interaction between the devil and Jesus to be truly tempting, the devil would need to know a whole lot more about who Jesus is and what God's call was on the life of Jesus. The devil would have to tempt Jesus with good things, really good things, if the force of evil was going to distract the incarnation of good. So in the story this morning, the devil is essentially saying to Jesus, offering some good stuff, Lord, why don't you eradicate world hunger? I know you're hungry. You haven't eaten in 40 days. Turn this rock into bread and and you eat, but turn all these rocks into bread and you feed everyone and you eradicate hunger. Everybody eats. What's bad about that? Or what about world peace? Jesus ruling all the nations of the world. With Jesus' power and authority, there could actually be peace and end to the pain and the suffering. Or what about this, Jesus? Show everyone that you are the Messiah. Throw yourself off the top of the temple, the pinnacle of the temple. Yet another sign of the Messiah's arrival. And then if you throw yourself off and the angels swoop in and catch you, better than anything that Cirque Soleil could ever over. What a trick. (laughs) Catch you before you strike the ground. And that's why we read that Psalter a while ago from Psalm 91. The angels will bear you up lest you dash your foot on a stone. That's what the devil's getting at here. And there has been found 
probably a couple of decades ago now, maybe a little longer, there was a pinnacle, there was a tower of the temple, and the tradition was that the bugler up there would always be on watch, and that when the Messiah was on the way, they would sound the trumpet, and there is a capstone off of that tower that was discovered by the archaeologist, and the inscription on the capstone says, the place of trumpeting. So there, there really was a tower, and, and Jesus to throw himself off, it was signified, here's the Messiah, especially if the angels came and caught him. The devil said, that's in scripture, Jesus. Haven't you read it? That's a scary thought that we all need to be aware of. That even the forces of evil know and can quote the Holy Scriptures. And so we've got to be so careful about quoting scripture without looking at it carefully and thinking about it prayerfully. But these are not the best things. The throwing himself off the temple, the, the world peace thing, the eradicating world hunger, those are not the best things. God has more in store. God has designed these things and promised them. And the final section in this chapter on the gift of temptation in Eric Allen's book is called The Myth of the Adversary or or what the heck do we do now? And so I had to read these pages a few times just so I could start to get them. And I'll try to share that with you briefly by oversimplifying it, not for your sake, but for mine, so that I can maybe hear what he's saying. He said, Satan, the adversary, is proposing a way through this world that's not all bad. Truth be told, much of it is good. But by following that way, we miss so much. Here are the exact words from Eric Downs. Unable to guide humans along their true path, the adversary, the devil, did the next best thing. He created bright, broad highways and sidewalks so that we could move through without resistance that would make life easy and would keep us from devolving into chaos and mayhem. In fact, following the bright and easy way, humans could still do some good, feel good about themselves. Maybe even care for each other a little bit. But what was being missed was the path through the dark wood. And in the dark wood are where there are amazing gifts. Paths that lead us to our true place in this world. Paths that bring us to the greatest good and the greatest gift. Gifts that we will examine over the next few weeks. Gifts of the dark wood. We're going to talk about the gift of uncertainty and the gift of emptiness and the gift of being thunderstruck, and the gift of getting lost, and the gift of disappearing, and the gift of misfits. I've got some, a story there I want to tell you about misfits in this world. The wounded traveler in the Good Samaritan story could have saved himself a lot of pain and anxiety if he had not insisted on traversing the dark wood alone. Same could be said for each of us as we embark on this Lenten journey. So let me tell you, let me be honest with you and tell you something that I need from each of you. I need you to help me through these weeks to choose not so much between good and evil. That one is often very obvious. But between the good and the best. The temptation to settle is always knocking on the door. And I need some assistance, and maybe you do too, in seeing temptation not as an enemy, but as a gift. 
Amen.